0: So, how many of you were brave enough to go to the Chiefs game last night? Got a couple hands, yeah, yeah. But going to the Chiefs game last night and getting out in uh, the driveway to get to the car this morning might have felt about the same, I think, just so you all know, uh, Brad Fengman's confirmed this. For being here today, you've earned an extra jewel in your crown in heaven just for getting out and walking in here. Uh, I tried to make a video on Facebook this morning. I pulled in the parking lot and was trying to make a Facebook live, telling people to get out in the cold and come here. And I turned the corner from where I parked, around the, just around the backside of my Jeep, which was really fun to drive here this morning, by the way, that metal Jeep with a soft top, uh, getting here at minus nine when I pulled in the parking lot. The wind hit me in the face and I couldn't talk on this video, so I, my face is almost—it looks frozen. It was, and so I got in my office and turned on a heater and sat there and made another video from the <laughs> warmth of my office, looking out the window at the snow and everything. But uh, it was kind of a kind of a, a, an experience this morning. We'll just call it that. I had a chance to go to the Chiefs game this week. We had had tickets and they they fell through kind of late in the week, and uh, I. I said I was never more bummed out while also not being remotely bummed out at the same time. I had every piece of hunting clothing I own out to wear, multiple layers. And as the week went on, I could feel my anxiety building. Like, I don't know if this is actually a good idea. So instead, we went to some friend's house and sat in front of a fireplace and ate pizza and watched it there. So, you know, all's well that ends well, right? Uh, I, I did notice some, some good shots of the Chiefs game last night. I don't know if you saw the guy with his shirt off. Uh, there's unconformed reports that was Brad Fogo at the game last night uh He has yet to confirm that, but uh th- there's a chance that was possibly him I-, I liked this shot though if you saw big red throughout the game you know he no hat on he had the coat, no hat, nothing over his face you know and if you got looked really close, you know you saw this and uh just a just a work of of beautiful art you know they say that 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 the way God creates things is just breathtaking and right there it is so but um, although I'm afraid if he sneezed he might have killed somebody within five feet of him with that but uh, you can get that off the screen we don't have to look at that we're not sure if that was condensation from his breath or snot we didn't want to ask so uh, but I do want to say this thank you to our welcome team that was out front this morning Uh, I know Gary was out there Don was out there yeah I was not out there, and uh, at, at 9.15 Bob Higginbotham, one of our elders who oversees our welcome team, wanted everybody to know he was also not out there, um, but uh, he did what I think I've captured the art of doing, which was lead by wandering around. He popped out there with his hat and gloves on for five minutes. And then came back inside to make sure the heat was working for everybody else. So, uh, but thank you to our welcome team. Thank you to uh, all, all of you for being here and for our, our volunteers for getting out in this today. Um, I think minus ten is the coldest temperature I've seen in my life. So that's that's kind of exciting, you know, to get to experience that with you all. So. Glad to be here. We're in week two of this series called A Call to Cruciformity. Uh, We started this last week looking through uh, the book of Philippians. We're going to read through Paul's letter together. We're going to break down and kind of stop and look at some things that he talks about throughout this. And we're just going to kind of go section by section, not necessarily word for word, line for line. That would take a whole lot longer than than eight weeks. But we're going to kind of look at section for section and see what it is. Because Paul's letters were written either to churches or to specific people that led those churches or worked in those churches. And there's so much that we can get out of those from a very practical nature today. We said last week, Philippians is a letter that he writes while he's in prison, but it's a letter full of joy. He mentions joy 14 times over the course of this letter. And that's a theme that we pick up on over and over that despite where he's at, he is full of joy. As we get ready to dive in today, we're going to be in the second part of chapter one. I just want to ask you a question. If you're taking notes, you can write something down here. What do you live for? What do you live for? Kind of kind of hinted at this last week a little bit. Is it, you know, your friends or family? That's what you live for. Your kids, those people close to you. Is it uh, your, your job slash career slash hobbies? You know, kind of something that you're just really passionate about. Or, or maybe it's, you know, we said last week, maybe it's sports. You do live for sports. You live for the Chiefs or the Jayhawks or whatever team it might be that you root for. What do you live for? As we dive in today, we're going to see exactly what it is Paul lives for and what he encourages us to live for the same way. If you've got a Bible, we're in Philippians chapter 1. It's on the screens if you don't have one. We're going to start in verse 12 and work our way through the rest of chapter 1 today. Paul says, starting in verse 12, The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking, or not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now you look at kind of the repetition here, Paul really just goes on and on about spreading the word preaching the gospel, talking about Jesus. And and I think what he wants us to know is that no matter where you're at in life, no matter what your your life looks like or the station you're in, he's telling us that that joy he mentioned back in the first part of chapter 1, true joy comes when you spread the word, when you preach the word or preach the gospel. There's a, a bunch of ways you could phrase that. He uses that six times in those seven verses there. Preach the word, proclaim the word, spread the truth, something to that effect. Six times he mentions it right there while he's sitting in prison. Now, you may hear that and think, well, you know, I'm not Bible college trained. I don't know how to craft or or create a lesson. I'm not articulate or that knowledgeable about the Bible. That's okay. The point isn't what you know. The point is how much you care and desire to spread the name of Jesus. Again, remember back to where Paul's at here. He's sitting in prison. This isn't, excuse me, like what we might think of of a jail cell where there's bars and he's just inside this. He's in chains. He's chained to other people, he's chained to the floor or the wall. He, He really can't even move very much. But yet, he's able in this moment to spread his joy. And when you read through his words and you see what he writes, you also see what he doesn't say. He's not angry. He's not down. He's not necessarily in this deep, dark place because he's finding joy in what's happening around him. He's not asking everybody who's reading this to come rally around and riot and break him out of prison. He's not asking them to go to Rome and persuade them to let him out of prison. He's just simply saying, hey, go keep preaching the word. Keep spreading the name of Jesus to everyone you go to. And he points out, too, that some of these people might have been fearful because he was arrested. So they don't want to do the same thing because they don't want to get arrested, but he's saying now they're, they're bold. They've gotten this, this shot of courage in them because they see what's happening when I spread the name of Jesus. Even the jailers are coming to know the name of Jesus. And he points out two groups of people here. He says that there are some people who are preaching the name out of their hearts because they just deeply care for everybody, and some who are preaching the gospel so they can look good. And you might know preachers like either one of those you might know somebody who preaches and you say man I just see that that person's heart all the way down through it you might see some that preach going hey, he's just trying to look good and impress everybody you might think that when you look at me if it's you know you got one of those two opinions keep it to yourself okay my my ego can't handle it if you, you tell me the wrong thing so I'm, I'm joking right But sometimes, what do we do? We see people who preach one of those two ways, all from the heart or a little bit more flash and show, and we think, I like this one, the other one's not doing it the right way. That's kind of what's happening here. I think Paul's saying this, and he's talking to the people saying, yeah, they both do this, but you know what? They're both proclaiming the name of Jesus, and that's what's the most important thing. And I think we need to look at this and cling to this. Paul sees Jesus' name being preached and spread and made famous, And in the midst of everything he's dealing with, that's where he finds his joy. I think we can get that same joy, no matter where you're at in life, you can get that same spirit of just, man, God is good, and God is doing amazing things. But you may ask, how do I do that? I look at what Paul's writing here, and I see two things that we need to do in order to get to this this level of joy, this level of gratitude. The first is you learn to say no to self. You say no to self. Now, I'm not going to dive super deeply into this because this is what we're going to talk about all next week. The the beginning of chapter 2 is all about humility, specifically the humility of Jesus. But as we look at this saying no to self, I do want want to highlight a couple of things here. Jesus says in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You're reading that going, that's the most contradictory thing I've ever heard in my life. I have to lose my life to find it, but if I keep my life, I'm going to lose it. Paul reiterates this years later. Galatians chapter 2, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, next week, we're going to dive deeper into what it means to be humble like Jesus, especially humble as a community community. But I don't just want to skip completely past this today because I think we need to look at number one before we can get to number two here. Dying to self, dying uh, t- to the ways that the world tells you to live, which is focus on what I need or what I want and focus on things that I want around me to make my life better. That's why when we do a baptism, you'll hear sometimes a, a, pra- a pastor or whoever's doing the baptism Say words like you're being, being buried with Christ and raised to a new life. We talk about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, and we're reliving that in our own lives. We're dying to self. We're dying to the ways of the world and being made new in him. So you learn to say no to self so that, number two, you can learn to say yes to making the gospel priority. I don't think you can make the gospel priority if you haven't said no to To self and put that to the side. And saying yes to gospel priority may seem simple. It may seem self-explanatory. You may think that you're already doing it, but I just want to challenge you and say, you're probably not as much as you think you are. I know there's times I'm not as much as I think I am. When I look in the mirror and I'm being very, very honest with myself. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I do all of this. He, He just rattled off a bunch of things that he's doing for the kingdom. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share In its blessings, when you read through Corinthians and some of other Paul's letters, yes, he's in prison right now. But he goes through a whole list of the persecutions he's dealt with. Like this man should not be alive at this point. They've attempted to execute him multiple times. He's been beaten many times. He's been stoned many times. He has been been put through the ringer. And he says, "I do it all for the sake of the gospel." Everything about Paul's life is with the gospel at the forefront. And you may say, what does it mean to to make gospel priority in my life? First, it means that you believe and you understand the gospel. That doesn't mean that you've got this Bible memorized or that you can answer every question somebody might ever ask about it or that you're an expert on it. That's not what it means. I mean, you're never going to be an expert on the Bible. You might know a lot about it, but you can read this every day of your life and there's still something new for you to learn. The Bible is so rich and so deep. It's the living, breathing word of God. It doesn't mean that you've got it memorized. What that means is that you prioritize the gospel in how you live and how you walk with Jesus, how you go about your life with Jesus. And that should look like you're sharing it with everybody you're around. We find joy in sharing the gospel. And if you don't, you should, because that's part of our mission. Let me just remind you, if you're you're a believer, you've given your heart to Jesus And you've submitted and surrendered to him. Sharing the gospel is not optional. It's a command that we're given by our creator. We're supposed to spread his name to make him famous and to help other people believe in him and come to him. That's a challenge. Because we think we're not good at it and we second guess ourselves often. But often it means too you could face hardships and persecutions along the way. You might not face the same persecution that Paul faced and wind up in prison. Although in some places now, in the, around our world, that's, that's happening. Maybe for you, persecution is simply rejection. Or it's simply somebody just tells you they really don't want to hear it and you risk losing a friendship. Or worse, maybe you risk making yourself look like you don't know what you're talking about. We let our own fear get in the way here. Paul encourages us in the second part of this chapter to not let anything get in your way, but to simply just live as Christ did. Starting in verse 18, Paul finishes chapter 1 like this. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but, with, uh, but that with full, and, uh, full courage, now as with, with Jesus, will be honored in my body, whether in life or in death, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means faithful and fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to de- depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul uh, gets into this this passage here and says a verse. It's one of the more famous verses, probably in the New Testament. Certainly, one of the most famous in Philippians. He says, "To live is Christ, and to die is gain." And I've heard that verse a lot and thought about it because, again, that kind of goes back to what we said a moment ago that to, to keep your life, you have to lose it. And if you try to keep your life, you will lose it. Paul's saying, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I think every Christian should be able to say those words for me to live is Christ. But what's that mean? And what's that look like? I don't know you know, the full ins and outs of it. I wrote down a few things this week that are in your notes that I think if we're living with Christ and living as Christ, something that we should be able to do and what that might look like. The first is this. To live as Christ means we should live in complete union with God, complete union with Jesus. That's something that will only happen when you walk with him and you spend time with him day by day. Like any relationship, the more you spend with that person, the more you're going to be able to get into unity and harmony with that person. Think about somebody you might work with or somebody that you might date. If you talk to that person once a month, once a week, how close are you ever going to actually get to that person? But if you're with that person day after day, you're going to start to get a a deeper harmony and connection there with that person. Mark 12, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Think of it like a marriage relationship here. When two people get married, we always talk in the wedding ceremony about two becoming one flesh. And that one flesh can't be broken apart, and we use visual aids in a wedding to show this. Well, maybe it's a, a unity candle where two candles are used to light one new one, and then the two other ones are extinguished, and that one candle now burns. Uh, some people do unity sand. Jennifer and I did this where we took two vials of sand and poured them together, and made this mixture that can't be separated. Whatever it, the visual representation is, that's what a, a marriage relationship is supposed to look like. And your relationship with Jesus should look the same. You get complete unity and union with him. It doesn't mean that your life's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you won't make mistakes or deal with hardships. It means that you've been made whole with God. You've been restored with God. You've accepted the amazing grace of Jesus through his blood on the cross, And you have been brought back to the way God created you to be. The second thing to live as Christ is this, that we exalt Jesus in everything that we do. You exalt Jesus in everything that you do. You may not realize this, but every single thing you do, if you're a Christian, is an act of worship. The question is, what are you worshiping or who are you worshiping? Matthew 5, Jesus says, "'You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden.' Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's a question for you. Again, especially if you're already a Christian, you're already a follower. What about your life brings glory to Jesus? What is it that you're doing in your life that brings glory to Jesus? And maybe let's expand the question out just a little bit more. What about your life shows people who Jesus is? Again, everything that you do is going to be an act of worship. People are going to see what you do, and they're going to judge Jesus based on what you do. So if you're a follower, are you doing things that reflect well on him or not? Make him look good or not? In, in Colossians 3, Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. kind of said this earlier. Maybe you think you're unqualified to preach. You didn't go to Bible college. You can't even name the books of the Bible. You're not even sure which books of the Bible the story of Jesus is in. You just know he's in here somewhere. That's okay. That's okay. Because you've got a story to tell through the life that you live. And everything that you do, whether you are polished and articulate or not, is preaching a sermon. So what's that sermon telling people? Is it telling people that this, is, this Jesus is somebody worth following, somebody worth giving your life to, somebody who will save you, or is it telling people this Jesus is no different than everything else in the world? So what's the point? Everything that you do brings glory to God. Are you doing it in a way that brings glory to God the way it should be? Number three, you want to live as Christ. We die to our selfish desires, We mentioned this earlier, but I want to hit on one little aspect of this. We die to our selfish desires so we can live a selfless, serving, and sacrificial life. Again, we're we're diving deeper into this next week, but I want to, to focus on what a life looks like that's rooted in love, specifically a love that is so deep that it just shows people what Jesus did for you. John 15, Jesus says, This is my commandment that you love one another, As I have loved you. When you read this verse, you need to understand the context of this verse. Jesus is telling his disciples this as he's headed towards the cross. They're, They're moving from the upper room where they've had the Last Supper towards Gethsemane. He knows what's awaiting him there. He's about to be arrested, he's about to be beaten, he's about to be subjected to just a brutal execution at the hand of the Romans. And as they're walking towards the cross, he says, love one another as I have loved you. The very next verse, he says, and greater love has no one than this, that he who would lay down his life for his friends. Now, when he says this, remember back to what we just mentioned a moment ago. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What's the very next part of that? And love your neighbor as yourself. When he says, love one another as I have loved you, he's not talking about love the people that you want to like I have loved you. Pick and choose the ones. No, what he's saying is the gospel is for everyone and I want you to take it to everyone. I want you to get the word out there to everyone and I want you to sacrifice whatever you need to sacrifice to do that. Here's another question for you. When you became a Christian, what did you expect life to be like? What did you expect out of all of this? What did you expect out of Jesus? Were you expecting that life would be sunshine and roses for the rest of your life? Were you expecting that riches and great health would come pouring in because you know, you've given your heart to him and you're faithful, so he's going to reward your faith with all this great material gain? Were you expecting that you could just invite Jesus to play a part in your story of your life and it all be good? Because that's not how it works. When you become a Christian, you don't invite Jesus into your life, you submit yourself into his plan for your life. You submit yourself into what he has for you. You give up those things that you thought you, you truly wanted. And maybe his will lines up with your will. I think he gives us desires and, and passions and talents for a reason. And I think our, our, his will for our life typically finds its way into those things. But we don't chase after it for our own gain. We chase it for the gain of the kingdom. And when you give your life to Jesus, it comes with two words that us Americans don't really like to talk about a whole lot submission and surrender that's what it looks like to die to your selfish desires the fourth thing that we need to do if you want to live as christ is you make jesus our primary focus in your life you make jesus the primary focus in your life and again you may say i'm already doing this let me just push back and say but are you are you really doing this Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Now, he's talking here about money. He's talking specifically about the anxiety and worry that comes when we feel like we don't have enough, and we've got to do whatever we can to provide. But I think it's it's a deeper meaning, too. No, all the stuff of the world, seek me first, and I'll take care of all the rest of it. Again, it doesn't mean he's going to give us this overwhelming, you know, treasure trove of riches. It means everything that we need, he's going to take care of, including down to who we are at our our core. But that comes when we seek him first. For Paul, this was natural and normal. Every aspect of his life was viewed through the lens of Jesus and the will of God. You can read through the book of Acts as Paul is going about these missionary journeys. Several times he'll say, I really wanted to stay here, but the Spirit told me to move. Or I didn't want to go here, but the Spirit told me I needed to. He lets God dictate everything that he does. God is at the forefront of his life, the focal point of his life. And you may say, well, that's me. I, uh, I'm a Christian. I've been baptized. I've done those things. But is Jesus the top of your life? Or maybe are your kids' activities the top of your life? Or maybe your job is the top of your life? Or maybe something, that's, you know, something else in your life is the top of your life? Those aren't necessarily bad things. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. The point is, maybe these things that we consider to be really, really good and great, and they really are good and great, they need to be brought down just a little bit so there's room for Jesus up here. There's room for him at the top. And that everything that we do goes through him. Every thought that we have goes through him. Every prayer that we make goes through him. That we're spending time and making a priority of scripture and making a priority and spending time out of prayer and making a priority and spending time out of fellowship with one another. And coming to worship. Maybe, maybe Jesus is a very important part of your life. He needs to be what your life is all about. You want to live as Christ. That's what it looks like. And that's important because Paul says, for to live as Christ, to die will be gain. Just in the recent you know, weeks and, and months, I've got to be around several people who are at or near the end of their life And these are people who believe in God, they they followed God, and they've said, I'm I'm ready to go home. I'm ready for what what awaits me. And that's the good news of all this. If you've given your life to him, if you have surrendered and submitted your life to him, there's something waiting for you beyond this. Now, let let me rephrase that. There's something waiting for you either way. (laughs) But there's heaven waiting for you if you've given your life to him. Jesus said in John, uh, John chapter 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. And that if you believe in me, even though you will die, you will live. He says in other places that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's the assurance we have. That's why Paul can sit there and say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he says, I just assume God take me home. But I know I've got stuff to do too. Heaven awaits us one day. There's work to do in the meantime. And how are you going to approach that work that you have to do? That mission that you have to carry out? That gospel that we have to carry out? Are you going to go at it full strength? Or are you going to say, you know what, there's enough people in the church, somebody will do it. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do today. We all have our days. but <laughs> This needs to be a point in our life. I asked you earlier, I'll ask you again. What do you live for? What do you live for? Maybe another way to say it, a better way to say it, is who do you live for? You living for Christ? Are you living for yourself? Be honest, not with me. Be honest with yourself. Who do you live for? It's very, very easy to live for self. Very easy. And when I say what the you live for, what the world tells you, I don't necessarily just mean you're chasing material gain. I don't mean you're just trying to get a bigger paycheck or a bigger station in life or get more attention or notoriety. Maybe it's just your selfish moments. Where do you go when you've got time that's free? Do you get into the word or do you just bury yourself in something else, in work, hobbies, whatever? God gave you passions for a reason. How do you use them for his glory? He gave you gifts for a reason. How do you use those for his glory? What about your life is pointing people to Jesus? Jesus. And what about your life is telling people about Jesus? Who do you live for? If it's not Jesus, if you've not made that decision, I'd like to invite you at some point this morning in the next few minutes, I'd love to have a conversation with you. I can meet you out here in the foyer. You can grab one of the other pastors on staff or one of our elders. Or maybe just write on that connection card Tracy mentioned earlier. I'd like to know more about Jesus. And I'll get in touch with you in the next couple of days. Because we want everybody to know who Jesus is. We want you to know what it means to follow him because we want you to experience the joy that we've experienced by following him. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your son. We're so thankful for the blood that he shed, that amazing grace that he gave that reconciles, that restores us back to you. God, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you've shown us what that looks like and that you have have given us, Lord, the path to follow you, that you are the resurrection and the life, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that through you, through you, though we may die, we will live. God, I pray today for anybody who might be facing that decision, you would speak into their hearts and let them know that you're there for them, that you love them. You love them just the way that they are, but you love them too much to leave them that way. God, I pray for anybody else who is following you, but maybe they're in a spot where they're, they're not following you like they should. They're not putting you first like they should. God, just give them the gentle reminder of why they should. Not because they are forced to or have to, because you love them so much that they wanna follow you. We're so thankful, Lord, for you. We're thankful for your son. We pray in his name. We're going to step into a time of communion right now. If you uh, didn't grab your packet of communion, there's a table in the middle and corner inside over here with the the packet in it. And inside, you're going to find a couple of things. You're going to find this uh, little piece of bread on the top and this cup of juice on the bottom. It symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. Uh, I was thinking this week, I was uh, out on my deck for just a moment, and then I was down in my basement looking out the back door. And uh, I love the snow. I don't necessarily like having to navigate through it or shovel off my driveway all the time, but I love to look at the snow through the windows. And part of the reason, especially looking out at my backyard, parents, you can probably relate here, is the snow makes my backyard look perfect because my backyard is a mess. Between my kids and my dog, it's just torn up. There's stuff everywhere, probably a combination of Titus and Ozzie, my dog. There's stuff all over the backyard. There's, there's a, almost a ditch now across my back fence where Ozzie chases Rooster, our neighbor's dog, up and down the fence. They bark at each other. But when it snows, you don't see that. You just see this perfect field of white. The Bible says that Jesus washes away our sins as white as snow. So I love that visual of the snow just covering up everything. So that's exactly what's happening here. When he went to the cross and he shed his blood for you, and his body was broken for you. He took your sins away, washed them white as snow. The Bible says, separated us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. And communion is a time that we reflect on that. We reflect on how he was beaten and broken and bled for you. We take this this morning. We remember what he did for us and the promise of what he will do for us. That he says in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you and I'll come back and take you with me. Father, we're so grateful for Jesus, for his body and his blood and the sacrifice that he made for us. We pray this today in the name of Jesus. Amen.